Black and white and red all over. Ian Murta. He can talk football all day. Well, it's February the 16th. The season's barely two-thirds gone. But I think we can say with a fair amount of certainty that two of our sides will still be playing championship football next season. Yeah, I cannot see Sunderland or Middlesbrough making the playoffs, can you? Not after the recent results. I was at uh, Riverside last Saturday when Middlesbrough were pretty uninspiring against Bristol City. They followed up against Preston, a 2-1 defeat. And of course, uh, up against the runaway leaders tomorrow when they will probably lose again and be in the bottom half of the table. Sunderland apparently did well against Plymouth, especially in the second half, but I watched that game at Huddersfield. They were appalling. Any side which can't create a single chance against the side near the bottom of the table, well, I'm afraid they're not going to reach the playoffs. Now, I know Michael Carrick and Michael Beale, they'll say the season's still alive, but I'm afraid I, I just can't see it. You know, I think a top-half finish should be, them, should be there for the taking. But as for top six, sorry. Newcastle, well, I think the European dream, if not the Champions League, is still alive. They've got their away form sorted now. Can they win at St. James's Park again? I would expect them to win against Bournemouth, but it's not all its not all roses for Newcastle at the moment, is it? The imminent departure of director of football, Dan Ashworth, is a major blow, an absolutely major blow. Now, I've heard a lot of fans dismiss it, saying it doesn't really matter. Well, ironically, they're probably the same fans who were heralding his arrival 20 months ago as a huge coup. And it was a huge coup. Now, it's a huge coup for Manchester United, one of those sides Newcastle want to be competing against. Now, Dan Ashworth, there was a reason Newcastle went for him, because he was the best in the business. And that is the reason the biggest club in Britain have gone for him. And without minimising the achievements of Eddie Howe, Dan Ashworth will leave a massive void at St. James's Park. My second guest, Simon Bird of the Mirror, good friend of mine, will be talking about that. I'm sure he's got some interesting observations about Ashworth's imminent exit. I certainly have. My first guest, now, Newcastle in the last two weeks, uh, they've drawn 4-4 against Luton, and then they've beaten Nottingham Forest 3-2. Now, what does that remind you of? It reminds you of a certain Kevin Keegan's entertainer side. Well, I thought, what what should we do? Bearing in mind, Clark, he's just been on the three legends. I've decided to give another uh, call to one of the entertainers. And I'm speaking to Steve Howie, who was one of those defenders in, the, in, in Kevin Keegan's side, which came so close to the title in 1996. Now, Steve has some very interesting views about... The Newcastle defence back then, he compares the two sides. So let's listen to what one of the finest defenders ever to pull on a black and white shirt has to say. Welcome to the black and white and red all over show, Steve. And I think there's only one place to start. Your former club's last two games have uh, been raining goals, 13 goals, seven of them to Newcastle. The big question is, are the entertainers back in tune? <laughs> Um, well, I mean, it's entertaining football, isn't it? I mean, as I said, obviously mm. the, the, sc- the scoring goals, but conceding goals, and that was something that they they hadn't done particularly last season. So, mm. you know, it happens, especially if you're trying to play free free flown football. Um, you know, lads, you've got you know, especially the fullbacks bombing on, which we had, uh, and of course, it does leave you a little bit exposed, and, and obviously that's been the case. Yeah. Now, listen. You're gonna you're gonna be have been asked a million times. Well, I'm gonna do the million and first time to talk about the entertainers and this team. Now, I think I've spoken to you before in a, in a newspaper interview, and you've you've said that uh, KK's side would beat Eddie Howe's side. But do you think comparisons are fair? How many how many players from this team would have got in that side? I know it's an unfair question, but let's just talk about the similarities and, and the differences between the two sides 30 years apart. I think, first of all, you have to say the team that they've got now is a brilliant team. I think they've got great individuals. Yeah. They seem to be very, very good as a, as a team. You know, they've got that really good team bonding, which we had. Um, 
you know, I, I think that's a it's it is a very very difficult question because obviously I think it's a slight on any of the lads that played in the Kevin's uh, team, and obviously it will be a slight on on Eddie's team because I think they're absolutely tremendous. But when you do have comparisons and you put a player against the player, I have to be honest that I always go with no matter what position. And you look at yep. you know your Peter Beardsley's, um, Shearer, Ferdinand, Aspria, Janola, Gillespie, Lee, you know Philippe Albert. You know, more important, John Beresford, all these kind of players, you know, I, I find it difficult to actually go against them because, they, I mean, I, in my opinion, I just thought they were wonderful players, wonderful players to play with. Um, but that's not to the detriment of, of the players that's in them positions in this current team because I think they're excellent players and I think they've done remarkably well. Of course, we're talking about uh, similarities, but what are the differences? I don't think that this mob will be seen on the quayside quite as much as, as you were all those years ago. <laughs> no, and I think there's two reasons. Uh, two, I think two reasons. When, the main one is social media. Uh, and obviously yes, now, you know, with, with, with mobile phones, with cameras and, and all that kind of thing. Um, but again, it was a different time and it was a different way of playing football and, and all that kind of thing. But, um, you know, we had a, I, I know the lads, I'm pretty sure the lads would be going out and, and trying to keep a low profile. Uh, we didn't, and if it has, it has to be honest. I mean, we used to go out every Monday or Tuesday uh, and, and go to a restaurant in Newcastle and the Quayside and then hit a couple of bars. To be fair, the fans were absolutely brilliant then because, yeah, yeah. you get people coming across. But, but the vast majority of time, we just got left alone. Um, I think because football's changed in the way that, for example, you, you know, we used to have to get out of our car and, and walk to the ground. Uh, and it used to take us about an hour or so because you were signing autographs and stuff like that. Nowadays, and it's not just Newcastle, it's every football club really, where players park in the stadium and fans have very little interaction with, uh, where, with players nowadays. Whereas yeah. we, were, we were always there, you know, we'd be, the lads would go shopping. Of course, the lads would go shopping now, but um, just the, there was more interaction, I think, with fans. And I think now when yes. fans do see players, it becomes a kind of a, a hula blue of like, oh, such and such is out. Whereas before it was just the no, you know, oh, such and such yes. is out. Well, yeah, I seen him just the other day. He was at uh, whatever. So I, I think that, that that's the big, um, big change. I think the, the, the inter- interaction with fans now, with players, is a lot different to what it was back in the day. Yes. Now, there's, there's many counter stories I know you've got about about uh, the entertainers, some suitable for a family radio, many not. But what are my favourites? And I know it was a little bit of a lazy myth that Kevin would have preferred to win 4-3 than 1-0. But I love the story that uh, you've, you've told about Darren Peacock when... Uh, when either yourself or Philippe Albert were joining joining the attack, I'm, I'm sure our listeners would uh, would love to hear that one. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously Philippe was a ridiculously good player, um, but sometimes I'd used to, if I was playing with Phil, I'd used to look uh, to my left to see if he was there. Because Philippe, uh, Philippe always used to be on the left hand side. I used to look yes. to the left and I'd be like, "Where's he gone? Where's he at?" And I'd look up the field and he'd be stood next to Alan. Or, or Les, and I'd be like, what are, you, what are you doing up there? You know, and he would just <laughs> yeah. laugh and come back, you know, and he would come back with some like Sid, Sid the Sexist comment, you know, what Philippe was like. And yes. uh, whereas, whereas with Peasy, if I had Peasy there, it wasn't a problem. Peasy wouldn't, wouldn't really go past the halfway line. If he did, he used to get a yeah. bloody nose. Whereas, as I said, we had me and Peasy, Bez used to bomb on, or whether it was Rob Lee, uh, sorry, Rob Elliott, or whether it was. Um, you know, what or, or Warren Barton. And sometimes there was just the two of us left. And obviously, if we'd lose possession, Peasy used to always do the trumpet, which was, <laughs> which was a case of him thinking it was kind of Custer's last stand. Whereas it was like, <laughs> Peasy would shout, I've got these three, you get them three. And obviously, the lads would be tracking back. But by that time, there's kind of six upon two. And, and, and yeah, we conceded goals. I mean, we did get a lot of criticism, especially the year we lost the, um, the, yes, the Premier course. League. But I think we actually conceded less goals than Manchester United that season. You did, um, and you know, and you actually scored less than Liverpool. So there, w- there were a lot of lazy myths about that side being scoring goals for fun and but conceding for fun as well. It wasn't always like that. Well, it wasn't. No, and I mean, of course, there's going to be criticism, um, but that's just the way that we played. And in all fairness, we wouldn't want it any other way. Of course, yeah. defenders will get criticism and it was always the defence, this defence, that, but everybody, everybody else is absolutely superb. 
the, the boys didn't mind. You know, myself, the, whether it was Warren Barton, Bears, me, Phil, um, Peasy, we ju- we just didn't mind. You know, this is what we're in the we're in this basically football. Let's be honest, it's in the entertainment business, and we're there to entertain. And that's what Kevin used to say a lot of the times before we before we went out. Uh, his team talk would be a case of, you know, national national kind of um, agree with this. That's Lee Clark. Um, he used to basically sort of say, "Hey, all these fans here that worked so hard all week to come to afford to come here and watch you play, go and entertain them, give them something to be proud of, give them something that they want to go back and come back next week," and that's what we used to do. Yes, yeah. Listen, millions of words have been written about Newcastle in that era, but I'd like to just focus on your own career, Steve. Now, I'm old enough to have covered your Newcastle debut. I I think I'm correct in saying it was uh, at Manchester United. Newcastle had already been relegated, and the two strikers for Newcastle that day were Anth Lorma and Steve Howie. And I remember, despite the defeat, I walked home thinking, I went home thinking, hmm, he's got a chance. But enough of Anthony Lober. Yourself as a striker. <laughs> do, 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 do you ever wonder what would have happened? I used to like you. I used if... to like you. <laughs> hey, listen, you, you, you'd, get, you'd get into my all-time, you'd get into my all-time Newcastle team, but not as a centre-forward. <laughs> but no, well, do you the, ever wonder the, what, what would have happened if you, if you hadn't switched? Well, the thing is, you know, I was never, ever a centre-forward. When I played at schoolboy level, I was never a centre-forward. I was always a midfield right. player, an attacking midfield player. And it was only when I signed as an apprentice and we were in the youth team, we didn't have... Obviously, Anthorma was there, but then he got shifted up to the first team. Um, yeah. So me and me and Lee played up front and we scored a lot of goals and we did exactly the same in the, in the, the, the Resis as well. Yeah. So, of course, Jim Smith had come in and um, I was playing up front. As I said, I, I struggled, and obviously when Ozzy came in, uh, I struggled because there was a lot of young kids in the team as well at that yes. particular time. Me, Lee, um, Alan Thompson, uh, Rob Elliott, um, S- Steve Watson, Matty Appleby, Lee Makel, people like that. And, and at yeah, times, it was be. literally men against boys. Of yes. course, I'm from Sunderland, as everybody knows. I'm wearing the number nine. Of course, Newcastle fans didn't take too kindly to that. Um and it was a kind of a a real big sort of sliding doors moment because, again, I think what people might not realise, it was Aussie that had mentioned it to me initially about playing at the back. And we had a couple yes. of games behind closed doors. And I was a typical non-defender by going into the challenge. I wouldn't say Paul Scholes-esque, but I wasn't far off <laughs> about just mistiming miss absolutely everything. And I was going to play in Ozzy's next game. Uh, but ultimately, Ozzy got sacked. And then when Kevin came in, I had a conversation with him. And um, the rest, as they say, is, is history. Didn't you play a few games under Kevin as a midfielder, Steve? I did, yeah. One in particular, I think we played Porto. I think Sir Bobby was manager. Right, uh, I think right. it might have been Porto. Uh, right. And I can remember Sir Bobby mentioning something after the game about the young lad in midfield. It was excellent. <laughs> but as I said, that was, that was my position. That's why I, I love to play but ultimately, when I spoke to Kevin, it was a case of, listen, you know, the midfield players that I'm going to get, the forwards that I'm going to get, um, it's basically at the Routley R League, which which there were, if I'm being brutally yeah. honest. Um, this is a, you know, your future is possibly at centre-half and I, I will be changing the team. It's up to you to keep up. Um, so yeah. I kept up. Now, I, w- I would say your career probably hit its peak in the mid-90s and uh, you got called into Terry Venable's squad and uh, you were also probably to play in Euro 96. Now, we were talking to, to your brother uh, a couple of months ago on the show and he said he's in, he's in no doubt, but for your freak accident, you would have uh, been part of that team which reached the semi-finals along with Alan Shearer and Teddy Sheringham and all the great names. And That must have been a, a huge disappointment because... You, I think you won three caps, and then you did you didn't you sprain your ankle or turn your ankle when you were out jogging? Well, I'd won four up until the, the Euros, and yes. um, we we'd, be, we'd been away at the infamous Hong Kong trip with a dentist chair and all that kind of thing. And of course, we were playing at home. Uh, the first game was Switzerland. We drew one-one. I think Al scored, and I think a yes. lad called Turkelmaz scored for uh, Switzerland. And we'd been. We'd been together a long time, the group, and Terry had basically sort of said, listen, get yourselves away for the weekend. We were under major pressure from the press 
and the fans. Yeah. Uh, and Terry uh, did sort of say, listen, you've got these couple of days, go away, keep yourself fit because um, I'm looking to change things um, for the uh, Holland and uh, Scotland game. So I was yeah. like, right, OK. I mean, it wasn't, he never sort of said, you're playing. He just sort of says he was thinking about changing. So, um, yeah, we used to do a run called the Forest Road when we trained at Maven Castle. And I was basically yes. at the end of it. And I just went down a pothole and unfortunately I tore all my ankle ligaments. Um, yes. I mean, I was absolutely heartbroken. I'd spoke to Terry on the phone. I was I, I'm not, not frightened to say it. I was, I was crying on the phone. And yep. uh, he, he basically turned around and said, listen, in all fairness, whilst it's absolutely devastating for you, there's not many players get to get to represent the country, first of all, and also get to represent the country in a major tournament. I suggest you come down. I know you'll find it difficult, but I still think you should come down. I've picked you to be in this squad, um, so be a part of it. So I came down. It was it was devastating, to be quite honest. But, I mean, it was such a brilliant tournament, though. But, you know, you're, you're part of it, but you're not a part of it, if you know what I mean. And yet you were still playing great football after that, but you you never got another cap. <laughs> well, that's a story in itself. Um, because obviously Glenn, uh, Glenn took over and I got called in the, in, in, into his first squad. And he pulled me to one side and asked me to see a woman called Eileen Drury. Oh, uh, that's, I can imagine yeah. you taking the mic a little bit, knowing you, Stephen Howie. <laughs> well... The thing was, do you know what, Ian? I, I'm 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 open for anything. If it gets me, if yeah. it makes me better. I mean, bear in mind, I did ballroom dancing to help with me with me upper body movement, and and everybody yeah. took the mick out of me for that. But it helped massively. Was that with, Lenny, with, was that with, Lenny Heppel? Lenny Heppel, a wonderful, yeah. wonderful man. And uh, we did a well. lot, of, uh, lot of table tennis. And when the boys used to go away from training, I, I used to be doing me dancing and stuff like that. And as I said, the boys used to rip all kinds of stuff out of us, but it helped me. Massively, but um, it was Kevin. Kevin's wife Jean was uh, into kind of the Island Drury, and she was reading the books by a woman called Betty Shine. And Betty was kind of similar things, I think. And I think Jean had more or less convinced Kevin to to send me and Alan down to see her. And we, and me, me and Al went down with Derek Wright. And to be quite honest, I, I think our biggest mistake was keeping us in the room. The three of us in the room at the same time. Right, we ended right. up. Just, in all fairness, we ended up just laughing. And it, it, nothing on Betty, but it just didn't... I, I just don't think it resonated with us. So, of course, right. when when Glenn asked me to see Eileen, I just sort of said, no, purely because of this. And, and to be fair to Glenn, he went, that's absolutely fine. I'm glad you've tried it. Not a problem. But he never picked me again. My goodness, my goodness. Let, let's uh, let's fast forward to the to the present day. And... Uh, you you do some work for Sky Sports and uh, you are a referee's assessor as well. I, I often see your matches all over the place. And so, although Newcastle's your former club, you do see Sunderland and Middlesbrough uh, quite regularly too. But they've, had, they've had shocking results this week. Uh, let's look at their matches this weekend. But before we do, would you say they are now the odds are massively against either of them making the top six? Well, I think obviously Middlesbrough's results against Preston is a big blow, but certainly Sunderland's. I think they, they would expect to go down there, given the fact that Huddersfield's been struggling. I think yes. you, you still scratch your head at, at, at Sunderland, particularly because they'll have a, a really good result against the team. You look at just the other week, West Brom, who's kind of pretty much flying high, and then yes. they get the, yes. the, the struggle against the lower teams. So yes. it is a, it is a head scratcher, obviously. You know the the, the man the new manager's got in there. I think uh, obviously he's come under a lot of criticism, which I think is too early. I have to be honest. I think you've got to give the lad a chance. I, I really do. Yeah. Um, but you're talking about Middlesbrough as well. I think um, Michael's done a wonderful job there. Um, and yes, results haven't been brilliant so far, but I think the turnaround um, since he's took over has been superb as well. Um, do you know Michael? Yeah, do you think- know Michael well, Steve? I do, yes. He's a lovely, yep. lovely lad. Um, he is, isn't he? Yeah. I've, I've, I've had an interview him a couple of times for Sky and stuff, and he's always been brilliant. Um, but yeah, I mean, you would, you would probably. I mean, still a good few games to go, so I think you've got to be optimistic. But you know, letting the results like they had done just the other day um, kind of lets them down a little bit, where the other teams are seem to be picking up points. Yes, I mean, and Middlesbrough go to Leicester tomorrow. Another of your former mm. clubs. Now you know Leicester. Uh, not so much uh, 
sheep in, uh, wolf in sheep's clothing or vice versa, but they're a Premier League club in disguise, aren't they? And they will be back playing top-flight football next season. Well, I mean, they basically run away with the championship, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, yes. they've had the odd results, but ultimately, I mean, very, very impressive. I think the last game they won quite convincingly. I think it might have been 4 0. Could be wrong. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've still they've managed to keep all of the top players. I think the lad in midfield as well. I forget what his name is. He used to be a Tottenham midfield player, really good player. Um, and of yeah, course, you've no, still no, got. That's right. Jusby Hall's good player as well. Well, it's Jusby Hall, yeah, they're talking about, obviously, a lot of, lot of uh, communication about him, but I forget what the lads call him in the field. He scored the other week as well, a last minute, I think it might have been against West Brom, he scored a last minute goal. Um, he's a very good midfield player. I think he's playing in a division which is below him, I have to be honest. Yes. And of course, yes. you've got somebody which is like the Evervescent Vardy, who's, who continues to score. Yeah, absolutely. So, you can't really see Middlesbrough getting anything at the... Uh, uh, KP Stadium tomorrow? I cannot really. Um, I mean, look, you, you just never know. But I think if you've got your footballers head on, you you would think it will be a surprise if, if they did get something. I, I would agree with you. And of course, Sunderland, and it's probably the last the last place that Michael Beale would want to go to after the Huddersfield uh, defeat is uh, a reunion with a certain Tony Mowbray down at St Andrews. Yeah, I mean, they've had some... Decent results, and then they've been beat a couple of times. And in in I think he's only had about four games or something like that, or five games. I think they've had a couple of wins, a couple of losses. But yes. uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is a place where obviously Wayne Rooney was in there initially, and that didn't quite work out. And of course, Tony will be. I mean, I was surprised we uh, Sunderland let him go, if I'm being brutally honest. I thought oh, he was doing a I decent think we all job. Are. So I was we're surprised. Fans, yes, fans, players, media alike, we all were. We all were. Yeah, and I mean, obviously something went on behind behind closed doors, but yeah, I was surprised at that. And, and I mean, you know yourself, he's a lovely, lovely fellow as well. Oh, every, we, we all say it, don't we? We all say it, so we can't all be wrong. By the way, I think mm. that player, Harry Winks is who you're talking about, wasn't it? Ah, that's right, uh, yes. Yeah, he is a good player, he is a good player. Now, looking ahead to the Sunday game <laughs> down, down in the Midlands, uh, Birmingham are not a good side, but let's face it, away from home, Sunderland are not a very good side. So, mm. how do you see that one going? I mean, I would expect. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say expect. I think that's the wrong word. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Sunderland got a result. But having said that, um, knowing a, a hell of a lot of Sunderland fans, I wouldn't be surprised if they got beat because yeah. that's that's the way they either perform and do really well, or or they're not very good. Um, so, yeah, I mean it's... I would expect again I'm using that word expect I think Sunderland will win uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they got another result uh, I think you know Sunderland do have so many technically gifted young players I just get the feeling that these days the whole isn't as good as the sum of the parts and, and that's and, you know that's for the manager to put right and so far he hasn't well I mean I think the as always, he, he, managers should be given time um, to implement yes. his his things, and it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes you can get that kind of, um, you know, new manager bounce that comes in. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at some of some players, and you were expecting one or two possibly to be pinched. I think obviously a lot, lot, lot of people are talking about Clark and obviously or nine, and of course you've got Joe Bellingham as well. Who uh, the goal that he scored just the other week was an absolute belter. Uh, but it was. yeah. I, he is, I think, I think Bale is finding it, I think when he looks at it, I, I don't know, I think he, he'll relish the challenge, but at the same time, I mean, bear in mind, he's been at Rangers, which is a huge club. Um, you know, I think Sunderland really, it's, a, it's pretty much a different animal, so just give him time and see, and see what happens. Right, we'll turn to Newcastle, and before you go, I'm, go I'm going to give you a little quiz question. When, what was the date of Newcastle's last win at St James's Park, Steve? Oh dear! Um, and I was surprised. Last win when it, was it not? Was it not? Not the plane bomb was, was on Dece Saturday, not It was December the twenty third against Fulham, against ten man Fulham, Fulham when Jimenez got sent off. And since then, they lost to Nottingham Forest. Then they lost. They lost to Manchester City, 
And of course, there was a 4 4 draw against Luton, which could well have been defeat. Now, a fortnight yeah. ago on this show, we all predicted a straightforward Newcastle win against the Hatters. And no doubt we'll all be predicting a straightforward win for Newcastle against the Cherries. Is it going to be as simple as that? Will they get back to winning ways at headquarters? I think they'll get back to winning ways, but I don't think it's straightforward. I yep. think, um, you know, you've got people like Solanke that's uh, banging the goals in. Um, and, you know, they have, they've, they've picked up some good results uh, over the last month or two. Um, so, have, but maybe yeah, away I, from I, home, funnily enough. Yeah. Are you talking and, about Bournemouth? So, yes, of course. Yeah. So, uh, for me, I think it'll be a difficult game. But when I've seen Newcastle and when they've played at the, the levels that they can play, I think they can beat any team. I mean, I've seen them. when I, I watched them against Manchester City and I thought first half, they were absolutely superb. And I think it's the game. first time. I mean, I, I do a lot of work for, for Manchester City and, of course, I watch yes. Man City, therefore, an awful lot. And it's the first time I've seen City being a little bit on the back foot. Um, I don't think any other team has kind of pressurised them like, like Newcastle did that day. Ultimately, the class yes. came, shone through, with obviously De Bruyne coming on. But with this game on, on at the weekend, I think it'll be a difficult game, but I do think Newcastle will win. Yes, I, I, w- I would tend to agree with you. I think I think a, a lot of people would settle for a one 0 because a clean sheet mm. is 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 needed, isn't it? You know that Bot- Botman and Shire have been a wonderful partnership, but they they have creaked a little bit in in uh, the last few weeks. Although I think a lot of that is down to where uh, Jolinton's absence. Yeah, I think that's. It, um, you know, when you talk about the player about. Transformation from where he was to what he is now, and basically the first name on the team sheet. Of course, he is that one that he's aggressive. He breaks play up. Um, he has got that kind of. He, he looks after. He tries to look after all of his teammates, and he's very. He's actually become quite aggressive, which I absolutely love. And it was weird because a couple of seasons ago, when he was getting massively criticised, I can remember uh, speaking about him, and I'd, I'd sort of said, "It's weird because he shows glimpses of like." He could be a really good player, but he just frustrated the hell out of me because I'm thinking, why can you not yeah. do it consistently? Now he has done it consistently. I mean, he's, he's become an icon, really, with the Newcastle fans, and rightly so. Deserve but yes, of yourself, course, yeah. yeah, you're going to miss somebody like that that basically just shields the front of that back four, particularly the middle of the back four. Steve, it's been absolutely fantastic talking about you. I think we've, we've covered... Uh, about uh, 30 years there, haven't we? And it, it's all been interesting stuff. So uh, I will bump into you again at some Premier League Championship ground in the, in the next uh, few weeks. So thank you well, very I'm much. The, I'm at the game on Saturday, so I will see you then, probably. I'll see you then. You take care, Steve. All the best. You too. Thank you. Black and white and red all over. He can talk football all day. Ian Murta. The red, the cat and the tan. It's always fascinating listening to Steve Howey, especially when he's comparing the entertainers from the mid-90s with uh, modern-day Newcastle. Eddie Howe's side have been tagged the entertainers after recent games which have flowed the goals. But I believe there is one big, big difference between the modern-day Newcastle and Kevin Keegan's Newcastle. That side was loved by the whole country. They were called the nation's second favourite side. Now, that won't be the case with this Newcastle side. This Newcastle side, it, it, it doesn't play with the same smile on his face. Eddie Howe actually likes to... Likes to uh, he's proud of the fact that he sometimes plays with a snarl on the face. And, of course, the Saudi ownership as well, which uh, doesn't make Newcastle the most popular of teams outside of Tyneside. Talking of which, this week we've had... Uh, well, we've had news of the imminent departure of Dan Ashworth to Manchester United, which is expected to be confirmed next week. Now, this is a, a huge, huge blow to Newcastle. But I think what it tells you is that the power base of Newcastle United Football Club is not at St. James's Park. It's, it's in Saudi Arabia, in Riyadh, with the PIF. And it's saying Dan Ashworth didn't like to be a Saudi puppet. He wants to be the boss man. And, you know, Newcastle, like it or not fans, but they are a club controlled in Saudi Arabia, not in any one. My next guest, it's his second appearance on the Black, White and Red All Over show, Simon Bird of the Mirror. I'm sure he'll be writing about this again in the Mirror tomorrow. He's written some impressive stuff already this week. Simon, what do you think about Dan Ashworth's uh, imminent departure? 
Uh, well, it is an interesting um, blow or and dynamic that's happening at Newcastle. I mean, Ashworth's obviously being approached by Man United um, and it looks like he wants to go, but he's not telling the club anything at the minute. Um, Man U, have, I think it's pretty well known from the Northwest journalists, have briefed that he's their number one target. So you're in this kind of weird limbo situation now with the man who's in charge of all the transfers, uh, well, kind of in charge of all the transfers, has all the targets for the summer, all the budget that Newcastle have got to spend in the summer. He knows all the secrets and he's potentially going to walk out to to one of their main rivals in the top six. So it's a pretty messy situation uh, and certainly not ideal. Ashworth's only been there uh, for 20 months work, uh, physically working at Newcastle, yeah. Uh, and that's not a long time. He talks about six-year projects. So his head's been turned by, by Old Trafford, um, by his mate Dale, Dave Brilsford at, at Man U. And he obviously thinks he can, he can do a kind of have more control and do a more kind of praiseworthy job um, at Old Trafford. And of course, Eddie Howe touched in his press conference today. I always laugh at this expression, gardening leave, Simon, and yourself as a, mm. as a proud yeah. horticulturalist, <laughs> you're well qualified. <laughs> but, but, you know, when you place a gardening leave, all it will take is for, is for Ratcliffe and Brailsford to ring him up and say, come on, wow. who are Newcastle's chief it's... targets? And I mean, you, sit, you might be sitting on, at home watching the test cricket, but you can still spill the beans, can't you? Well, uh, the gardening leave terms as a mockery. I mean, I, I can't believe yeah. Dan Ashworth didn't didn't work a bit for Newcastle when he was on gardening leave from Brighton, and the same same will be happening. Newcastle will be paying him, and he'll be working for Man U on the side. I mean, that, yes. you, you, they're not going to sit there and do nothing, is he, for a few months? So the need. I mean, Eddie Howe in his press conference today basically said he wants a line drawn under this, or wants kind of uh, he wants it sorted out quickly because you can't go into the summer, you know, next two or three months when deals are getting set up and everything's being explored with a, with a director of football who's going to walk out. They need, I think what Newcastle want is, is you know, they want to know what's happening with Dan Ashworth and then they want to extract, if he's going to go, which it looks like he is, they want to extract maximum compensation out of Man U. I think we're led to believe that it's about six million, six million plus um, a year's gardening leave is in the contract. But if Newcastle can get that up to 10 million and let him go immediately, then that would, you know, that would not suit everyone because Newcastle probably don't want him to go. But mm-hmm. it, it would certainly be a quick, a quicker, more satisfactory resolution so they can move on. Everyone can move on. Yes. I don't, I don't know about you, Simon, but I, I found, uh, uh, I find Dan Asher a very impressive, likeable, intelligent man. I remember the, the first meeting when he had a, a briefing with all of us. And mm. what, I, remember, I remember asking him, expecting him obviously to be here a lot longer than 20 months i remember saying to him do you expect to be to be here for newcastle's first 100 million signing and his answer was fascinating and he said if that happens then i will have failed because i do not believe that any player a club should buy any player for 100 million now i just wonder will that be the same when he's at old trafford that's a, that's an interesting question, isn't it? I think that you'd you'd rather not. You'd rather you'd rather buy a player for forty million like Bruno Gamares and have him worth a hundred mm. million when he wants to leave. That's the that's the ideal way to to be a clever sporting director. Um, yeah. I mean, I think Newcastle in ten years might be in a position to be spending a hundred million if if the, if it goes how they want it to go. Um, but you're right. I mean, you know, he's, the the problem with his role at Newcastle is led to believe that he didn't. Get, he hasn't got as much control over the whole show as he might have. I mean, if you look at the Newcastle documentary on Amazon, which everyone was very interested in, you'll see Amanda Staveley negotiating principle to principle, um, you know, head, head honcho to head honcho with Everton for Anthony Gordon. And it wasn't, Dan, and there, there was a mention of Dan Ashworth liking him, but it wasn't Dan Ashworth doing the deal. Um, so I always you know, suspect you that, that was done for the cameras. <laughs> that is possible. That is possible. But, um, yeah. You know, he, he, you know, you know, you know. My point is basically that he didn't. He, he's not running the show. Eddie Howe wants yeah. input. Eddie Howe's nephews and head of technical scouting. There's a lot of kind of not competing because I'm sure they can all work together uh, very happily. Mm. But um, you know, he's not got the but he's not got the budget. That he's, he'll have at Old Trafford. Man, you have got a turnover three times of that of Newcastle and a huge budget. He, and it's probably more scope and easier to win a trophy and sort that club out than it is to relaunch Newcastle. You're probably right there. And of course, while his imminent departure is damaging to Newcastle, 
let's not for one minute say Newcastle are in crisis because they're not. Newcastle, no. they've got their away form back, back on track spectacularly. Of course, they haven't won at home since um, December the 23rd, amazingly, that, that game against wow. Fulham, which turned out into a comfortable victory, but that was facilitated by Jimenez's... Um, uh, ridiculous red card, not ridiculous as in he didn't deserve it, the ridiculous foul he did. But Newcastle played against 10 men that, that game and got a badly needed victory. So Newcastle, you would expect them to be back on track against Bournemouth. Having said that, that's what we were saying a fortnight ago ahead of the game against Luton. Yeah, it's mad. It's been a really sort of chaotic, messy season. But when you look at it, they're still in the FA Cup fifth round. Um, they're seventh in the league. They've, you know, they're five points behind sixth, and they're not doing too bad. The form in the last five or six games, you know, they've been pretty decent. So it yep. feels like a bit. It feels like a rocky season. But they have kind of. I know it's been a messy, and the goals have conceded. There's too many goals going in, but it's not all doom and gloom I think if the win tomorrow puts them in a strong position then a win at Blackburn the whole complexion of things start, starts to change the other way in a more positive way and everyone's talking about Callum Wilson's injury and of course Isaac is unlikely to be playing I've got a feeling just a hunch that Newcastle's number nine next season will be on the pitch at St James's Park tomorrow Dominic Slanky, who has really come good this season for the Cherries hasn't he yeah, I asked him at Eddie Howe today in the press comments what he thought of whether he's, he's, been, he's been linked with Billing um, and Lloyd Kelly as well, the defender from Bournemouth, as well as Solanke. Lloyd Kelly's an excellent um, player. And yeah. he's a very good young player. And But Solanke's the one who's been in brilliant form. He's, had a, he's got a hat-trick, he's got lots of goals. Um, and he's more, he's slightly more robust than, than Isaac. So they certainly need to, need to sign, not a new number nine, but just like a, a backup or a, a someone to compete for that that shirt and Solanke's yep. decent and well I don't know whether they'll go abroad or whether they'll get Solanke but how is basically saying that Solanke could replace in, um, Wilson in the England squad um, because of Wilson's injury so he clearly mm. rates them really highly yeah why, why do you think Newcastle are conceding goals Simon because you know individually Botman seems to be over his injury Cher is Newcastle's unsung hero and yet the the team, well, as I say, they conceded seven goals in the last three hours of football. I think teams are attacking Newcastle very directly. They've cottoned on to the fact that if Newcastle are, are bombing forward and squeezing them, if you can play a quick, if you've got quick men up front and you can play a one one or two pass move to bomb it up in, into Newcastle's half and just expose the two or three that they've got at the back, um, who are defending alone, then then you can get change out of it. And there's also less protection when you haven't got Joe Linton in the side. Yeah, I um, agree and with that. Uh... The legs of those, they're not squeezing the life out of teams and dominating games like they were last year, where, where teams just, they, they just snuff out. Any, any passing game of the opposition, Newcastle would snuff out. They, don't do, they, don't, they can't do that at the minute with who they've got. So it's, you know, a, it's a slightly different dynamic. I'm pleased you gave that answer because I think there is a lazy narrative. Newcastle, or Nick Pope's out the side. Newcastle are therefore conceding mm. goals. And I, I, I mean, Dubravka has not done a lot wrong. I mean, he's been, no. he's been there for, for two months now. And I think he could probably, at most, two goals blame him for. And that's being, that's yeah. being a pretty harsh critic. I think he, he has done pretty much as well as Nick Pope would have done. Yeah, I disagree with you on that. I mean, the stats yeah. are quite startling, and the number of goals. Yeah, oh, I agree. The Pope stats, and, the stats but, aren't on his side. I, yeah, yeah, and I think he's not made any massive risks, but I do, I do think there are, are there are elements to the game where, or, or shots which Nick Pope would have stopped or, or got in the mm. way of because he is an exceptional keeper. So oh, I, I think it has made yeah. a dip, but he's not, he's not the one to blame. I mean, Dubravka is not the one to blame for that. He's, mm -hmm. he's, he's a very capable keeper, and I think he's been unlucky to be ousted at Newcastle, but. Yeah, I think it's it's not just you know Dan Burns' fault at left back either. It's a whole combination of the way the team interlinks, um, which has caused right. the goals to go in. Yeah, that's right. Let, let, so would you expect Newcastle to win tomorrow? I think it's a must-win game again, just like the Luton one was and the Forest one was. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, I mean, I, I'm not convinced, totally convinced that Isaac is out. 
I think Eddie Howe said he was he used the word very 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 close, <laughs> and then he and then he kind of said but not for tomorrow, and then he kind of backtracked a bit and said well maybe we'll have to wait and see. A bit so, like Gordon last think, week, really. Yeah, I think there's an outside chance reading between the lines that Isaac might be on the bench and get half an hour, or he might he might start. We'll have to see. Um, so I'm not. I, I mean, I think that'll be a big boost as well. Um, and if I mean Willock's also very close, so could he be on the bench? You know, I, I think there are people coming back now for Newcastle, and they've got Harvey Barnes there as well, just back from injury. So I think it's more positive now, and I think the I think they will probably will win this because they've lost, they've got a bad record. Eddie Howe's got a bad record against um, against Bournemouth, his former club. But I think there's there's a day when that turns, and I think tomorrow's the day. Well, Newcastle were lucky to get nil down on the south coast uh, <laughs> before Christmas, but. Uh, but I, I, I think Harvey Barnes might start tomorrow, and, and he's a player I, I'm looking forward to watching a lot more. Because I think he was a terrific yeah. signing, probably their best signing yeah. of the summer, to be honest. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, no, Barnes makes a difference, and he's. I think he's. I mean, Gordon scored a few this year and showed himself to be a finisher, but but Barnes's finishing is actually the numbers he posted for Leicester in the relegation season were excellent. Terrific, wasn't and he's, he's a yeah. bit clinical clinical in front of goal so he's a big boost so there's, there's loads of I mean people are assuming this is like a downbeat season but they're hanging in there Newcastle in the face of adversity and you know there could be a lot there could be a last one last little turnaround to, to uh, cheer well, everybody but back in back in August September I I said that the side that finishes eighth the side that finishes ninth this season will be good Premier League sides will have had decent yeah. seasons people forget last season was an ex- exception Simon because yeah. so many teams namely Chelsea Tottenham Liverpool underachieved Newcastle yeah. overachieved Newcastle's average league position over the last 10 years has been somewhere around about 13th so well, you know we've got to look at the bigger picture don't we and if Newcastle yeah. finished in the top half then there will be not too much to worry about. Yeah, I mean, I think top half's giving them a bit of leeway. I, I reckon... It is giving like, a little go, bit, yes. I think, you know, seventh is very acceptable, very worthy of cheering, given the extra demands on that squad with Europe this season. Yeah. Seventh will be a triumph. I think a bit of a triumph with a good cup run. Um, if they get sixth, even better. I mean, I think fifth and the top four out of... Kind of out of range at the minute. I think they're probably they're probably yeah, too far. I would risk. suspect. So. I think it, oh. I think eight eight and not getting into Europe and people would be probably a little bit disappointed by that. Um, disappointed without you know, uh, without crying alarm. Oh, without it being like a crisis or anything. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no alarm with eight ninth tenth. I think you're starting again at the. This is a bit dodgy, but yeah. I mean, it, 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 but it, you have to put it in the context of. Last few years, expectations have changed, haven't they? You know, it was just survival yeah. and finishing tenth was was a triumph for Rafa Benitez yes. and Steve Bruce. So, I think things have changed now, and I think they would probably want seventh minimum. Yeah. Now let, let's my, turn that, to the that's cha- what, that, yeah. Go on. I would agree. Uh, let, let's let's turn to the championship, uh, Simon. And uh, I kicked off this show with not the most uh, wacky prediction of all time. I, I said that we will still have two clubs in the Championship next season because after recent <laughs> results Sunderland and Borough in my opinion will not make the playoffs I know that I know their no. managers will maintain as there's an awful lot still to play for and there is but all the evidence suggests they are not good enough not to not only not to get promotion but they're not good enough to finish in the top six Let, no. let's talk Sunderland first now I I believe it was a backward step sacking Tony Mowbray, who of course be in the home dugout at St Andrews tomorrow, and bringing in Michael Beale, who has, <laughs> sh- who has shown little evidence in, as a as a frontline manager. I'm not saying he wasn't a very good coach. That 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 he was the right man for the job. Sunderland, yes, they played well in the second half of Plymouth, but it seems to be one step forward and two steps mm. back. And some of his some of his proclamations, Simon, I find strange. The other day he said, he said, let's not kid ourselves. This he said, we need to learn to to win tight games because this side is not going to dismantle teams. Well, excuse me, but the, one of the best performances I've seen from a northeast team this season was when Sunderland thrashed Southampton five nil. It was magnificent under Tony Mowbray. Now Mowbray wasn't perfect, but under his tenure, 
there was an, a feel-good factor, there was connectivity with the fans, and you felt the club mm. was upwardly mobile. I'm sorry, but I don't think any of those qualities are there right now. No, you're right. It, 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 I'd love someone to get the playoffs, and they're kind of always on the fringes, but the performance against Huddersfield in midweek was really poor. It, it was, was it dreadful. Was Disjointed. There was no, there was no system there which you could see emerging from, you know, eleven games into the the Beale reign. And he's tightened them up. And basically, I don't think you're. I think you're right. I don't think Sunderland are uh, are going to get into the playoffs. Um, I don't think Middlesbrough are either. I think they have. They they've got a very functional Championship side who'll win one, draw one, lose one, and that will get you into the top six. Um, so. I think it's going to be a fairly insignificant, miserable end to the season for. I'm afraid. For both, I'm afraid for both I clubs. agree with you. I I do think Michael Carrick can. Ha- there are mitigating circumstances because he kicked off this season with a significantly inferior side than the one that finished last season, and I think yeah, he, he realised that. It, it's it's a, that's the the inherent danger of landing successful loan signings because the moment the season finished last year they were weaker Cameron Archer went we always knew Akbom was going to go Ryan Giles yeah. left and, and same with Ahmad know, for Sunderland well it's the same with Ahmad from Sunderland but the difference with Sunderland though I do think they would have reached the playoffs under Mowbray you know, yes, there was some awful performances. Huddersfield at home, of course. You know, that his last game was a pretty turgid 1-1 draw at Millwall. But you sensed that the body language of the players suggested they believed in Tony Mowbray. The fans enjoyed the football. Had they missed out on the playoffs, it would have been fun watching them try. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been. And that, that's the thing. I think they might have lost the fun. That's a good expression to say. And obviously, Patrick Roberts is injured, injured now as well. He's got a hamstring injury. So he's yeah. out for, I think, caught several, several weeks. So, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to raise enthusiasm for the way it's going at Sunderland. I think they've built the squad with value. I think this summer they'll be weakened further when um, possibly, well, certainly Jack Clark gets sold for a decent sum. And possibly yeah. jo- Joby Bellingham um, moves on as well. So depending on what what bids they can get for him, so but they'll they'll hopefully reinvest that money. But it does it does leave them playing catch up, um, which they have been since well effectively since Mowbray went as well. Uh, they don't yeah. they needed the pre- they did, they didn't, the club didn't need the pressure of sacking Mowbray and bringing uh, bringing in a coach who who has been a little bit unpopular with the fans. That's added to the kind of burden on the on the club and the players and it and i mean it might be might work out in the long run but you know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of bridge building needs to happen that's what some of them think between the, the club I and the agree. fans listen i don't think i'm giving away any trade secrets simon we, we we'd be we'd be tra- uh, maybe traveling together to a match on a or going to the press conference on the Friday, we'd be dreading the match on a Saturday. But we were feeling exactly yeah. the same the fans were. You know, fans were going to the stadium out of duty, not out of anticipation. Then suddenly it did change. And we all enjoyed going to Sunderland because we thought we'd, we'd see a cracking match. And even if they didn't win, we'd see them playing good, good football. You know, we need to get that back. The most important thing a club can have ahead of success is connectivity and identity. Sunderland have that in bucket loads. They've lost it. <laughs> they have. Yeah, it was pretty football and it was exciting football and that you could bank on kind of Sunderland unlocking sides and getting two or three goals um, during their, their uptime under Mowbray. So, uh, yeah, it, it is awkward. I mean, it's a long way back when, you, when you're stuck in the championship and you haven't got a budget. and You've got the parachute payments helping out the people who have been relegated. And you, we, we, we've, covered, we've covered all three clubs in the Premier League at, um, at the same time. You know, we've, we've had someone yeah. with the, not, probably the noisiest place in the country at, at times in the Premier League when, under Peter Reid. Um, and yet you just wonder when those days are going to come back. They're going to have to get lucky with a few signings. And I think Louis Drace is going to put a bit of money in and, and, also, and also hit lucky with, with some of the signings to, to get it back there. And Steve Gibson already puts a lot of money in. They sold, they, sold, they sold the strikers very well and got money in. But that's only covering the, kind of the, losses, yeah. the losses that the club makes. So it is yeah. a very difficult lead to get out of. Yeah, did you enjoy the the last three episodes of uh, Sun Until I Die? Even though I thought you and I didn't, it was a bit of an anticlimax. You and I didn't feature this time, <laughs> did we? 
<laughs> we, did, we didn't make the cut, Ian. Um, we never made the cut, but <laughs> I, I thought it was a brilliant, brilliantly put together show. I thought it showed Sutherland in brilliant agree. light. The fans uh, showed the fans who, uh, as really committed and wonderful people. Um, I thought it was be- and it was very well filmed scenically, Sunland, and, and it was a very emotional ending as well. I mean, I was in bits at the end there, um, just- you know. With the, with the memories of the, the Wembley trip, but also the fan who, who died, and Louise Wanless, our colleague who, who passed away as well, and there was some lovely footage of her I thought, and the energy I she, that was very she brought to the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and also yeah, the energy that absolutely. Luke 9 brought there. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was a really, really well done. Yes, and I think Father Mark, uh, he, he, he was a bit of a star as well, wasn't he? Uh, when he, yeah, he, he he kicked off series one, didn't he? When he, uh, at the pulpit, when he when he was That's praying right. for Sunderland and the city, <laughs> and and he ended it with with uh, with the funeral of one of the stars of the uh, of of the, the, all three series. Yeah, indeed, Ian Wake, the fan who who passed away. I didn't actually know he'd passed away until I until I watched it. It was extremely moving. I recommend it to any Sunderland fan, any football fan actually, because any it was kind of a story. Absolutely. It was a story of it was a story of. Fans being lifted by the hope that their, that their club could one day get better and and claw them out of any despair that they're, they're experiencing in their in their lives and that that's kind of the moral of the story of the of the whole thing. So most a lot of football fans will be able to relate to that. Absolutely. Listen, uh, there's been plenty wrong with Sunderland during the the decades you and I have covered them, but the the fan base is not one of those faults. No, no, no. Ex- exactly. They're, they're very loyal. They're very noisy. Uh, they've been let down a lot by by happenings at the club, but um, that that full until I die series was was great. And I hope one day when you know they're chasing promotion genuinely to the to the Premier League that they actually do a fourth a fourth one and, and I'm sure, get an insight. I'm, into, sure I'm sure Leo Pullman will, will. I'm sure they will. Listen, it sounds been fantastic. Let Let's briefly uh, get predictions. Uh, I I suspect uh, Sunderland they're going to a Birmingham. Birmingham aren't a very good side. But Sunderland are a poor side away from home these days, and and I've got a feeling that uh, they'll lose again at St Andrews. And Tony Mowbray, he's too nice to call it revenge. Mm. To call it revenge, but I've got a feeling Tony Mowbray will get one up on his former club tomorrow. Yeah, I agree. I'd go two 0 to Birmingham on that one. Yeah, I would. Now Middlesbrough, and you know they're going to slip into the bottom half of the table. I was going to say if they lose. At Leicester, but let's face it: when they lose at Leicester, Leicester an outstanding side. They are as good as the Sunderland side that went up under Peter Reid, the Reading side which won the the record points haul, the Fulham side yeah. that went up when Mitrovic got that bundle of goals. They they are a class above, aren't they? They're, they're amazing, and if they win all their games, they can get 120 points, which would be like blow the record, wow. absolutely blow the wow. blow the record away. So. Um, yeah, that would be a, a remarkable haul. But Leicester are going to go up. And you know, one of the best. They'll turn out to be one of the best sides the championships had. Well, they shouldn't uh, have gone can... down, should they? They shouldn't have no, gone down. They were too good to go down, and they've kept a lot of their players and they've, they've refreshed a little bit, sold the couple. So yeah, I mean, Middlesbrough shouldn't win that one. If they can get a draw, that'll be uh, that'll be good. But you'd think they're going to, you know, Middlesbrough will probably lose. I mean, they had a lot of shots and a lot of possession the other day. But still, still lost. So you wonder, you wonder where they can turn to if they're, if they're having shots and having possession, and they they can't turn it into a to a win. And then they're facing Leicester. So yeah, tough times for Michael Carrick. I think he's got to find a bit more mojo and got to got to get a bit more fight in his side. And yeah, sure, he's uh, the man to lead it for the next year and a half. Final question. It's the toughest one, Simon. Why on earth were we complaining 20 years ago when we were covering Premier League football at all three grounds? Yeah, amazing, wasn't it? I mean, you just had to pick which press conference to go to. It was chaos on a Thursday and a Friday with so much copy to to talk to, to turn over. It was good days. I know. We'll come back one day. Well, let's just... They, they will be back. That's what's keeping us all going, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's the hope that, that kills you or keeps you going. <laughs> One of the two of you. It, it, both, both. Absolutely. Both. Simon, it's been an absolute joy again. Uh, have a good weekend. Thank you, Ian. No bother. You too. Take care. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>